0: Good morning, everyone. I greet you in Jesus' name. I've been richly blessed already this morning to to be here and worship together with you. I invite you to open your Bibles to John 3, the Gospel of John, and chapter 3, where Nicodemus came to see Jesus in the night. And verse 14 says that as uh, Jesus was breaking into Jesus' words to Nicodemus, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. We're here to remember this morning the lifting up of the Son of Man. I'd like to uh, take the time to read uh, some scripture from Matthew, Turn there, if you will, to Matthew 26. And just maybe you've all read from the Gospels the, uh, of Jesus' betrayal and trial and the crucifixion in preparation for this morning. But I want to read just uh, some excerpts here and there in Matthew's Gospel about this event. Beginning at in Matthew 26 at verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Then he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Then going to verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Verse 57. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. And then over at verse 73, where we're breaking into the story of Jesus' or rather, Peter's denial of Jesus. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. And in chapter 27, going to verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. And then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word so that the governor marveled greatly. You know, verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Now, as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there and they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. And the rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. We began in John where Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. And just to continue that, in that passage in verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This, this message, these words that Jesus told, said to Nicodemus, are the most amazing and wonderful words that a person could ever hear. It begins in John six, in, uh, in the verse 16, for God so loved the world. And that is God. The scripture speaks of as the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. It is God that the psalmist speaks of as most high above all the earth exalted far above all gods. It is God that the four living creatures, each having six wings full of eyes around and within, that do not rest day or night, these creatures speak of God. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, It is God who is the creator, who created everything. All things were made by him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. God, high, eternal, holy, almighty, creator of all things. And our text says that God so loved the world. The world, the world is not worthy of God's love. It is a world that lost Eden. God cannot look on this earth, on this world and its inhabitants as he did after creation and say, behold, it is very good. It is a world that has lost its way. It has lost sight of its, of its creator. The world is in darkness. Paul said in Romans 1 that the inhabitants of the earth, the world did not glorify God, nor were they thankful, and he said they became futile In their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. There was a great darkness. There is a great darkness on their minds and their hearts. Misguided, worthless speculations, void of truth, void of true guidance. Jesus said, if your eye is bad, If your eye is evil, I think the the King James says, your whole body will be full of darkness. If your source of direction, if your source of truth is dark, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. The crucifixion may have been one of the darkest moments. Maybe the darkest moment. In man's history. There's a lot of darkness in the story. A lot of it happened in the dark. After Judas was identified in John 13 as the betrayer. He went out immediately. And it says in verse 30. And it was night. And the greatest darkness was in his heart. Deluded Judas, for love of money, for 30 pieces of silver. When Judas came to Mount Olive with that multitude carrying torches and lanterns and clubs and staves, they tried to lighten their path through that chilly night with those feeble torches that they had on their way to accomplish their evil purposes. Jesus said that men, evil men, love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And Jesus was arrested and he was hauled to the high priest by cover of night and then to the Sanhedrin Then to Pilate, dark motives, dark intents. Their purpose was to destroy this man, this innocent, this holy, good man, to get him out of their way. Such black darkness. Pilate was in the dark, void of understanding and asking Jesus questions. And Jesus offered him the truth. Jesus answered, Pilate said to Jesus, in John 18, verse 37, are you a king? Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? Jesus, as he was being crucified, prayed for the misguided men who were carrying out this cruel task. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. They were deluded, they were in darkness. Paul said, that the evil people, evil man in the world do not have the light. They didn't know what was happening in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8. Which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They were in the dark. They chose the dark, and they were doing dark things. And in the middle of it stood Jesus, the truth and the light. John 1, verses 4 and 5 In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. The world is filled with a great spiritual darkness. The world is also in rebellion. It is wicked. The darkened heart does not naturally surrender to God. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So the heart is deceitful. It uh, is wicked and unchanged. It desires wicked things. That's why the heathen rage, as the psalmist described them, and why the people plot vain things. And why they say, why the rulers of the earth take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. God says, this is right, even in the conscience of man. And that is wrong. Do right. God says in the scripture, this is right. That is wrong. And man says, I'll do what I want. Man fights against God. In Noah's day, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. That describes evil humanity today. Jesus said, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Unsaved man, unconverted man struggles against the holy will of Almighty God. And there was a great spiritual warfare going on over the time of Jesus' arrest and trial and crucifixion. I believe we're only told part of the story. It doesn't tell everything. The forces of darkness against Almighty God, the ruler of all the earth. But we see an amazing thing there. It's not as in the great final battle that we read about in Revelation when Christ conquers in Revelation 9. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That hasn't happened. That will happen. That is going to happen. But in about AD 30 or around that time, at the time of the crucifixion, Almighty God was on the throne, but the power of heaven was withheld and Satan was allowed. Satan and his evil followers were allowed to do their worst to Jesus. When he was arrested, Jesus said, this is your hour and the power of darkness. This is your hour. You can do what you want. When Peter tried to defend him and pulled out that sword and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. No swords. No defending me. Jesus said, Do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and He will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Maybe you've heard the song, He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set Him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but He died alone for you and me. But the song way understates what Jesus said. From what I've found, most think a legion in Jesus' time consisted of 6,200 foot soldiers plus 300 horsemen, making 12 legions a force of 78,000. The Amplified Bible, I don't know whether they just rounded it or have other research, but they said, it says 80,000 angels. The point being that all of heaven, all heaven's power was available for Jesus' defense. They were not called upon. As though the hosts of heaven were restrained And the the hosts of evil were turned loose. But Almighty God was not powerless. But his holy will, his holy will was being accomplished. Even at the hands of rebels that were fighting against him. And Jesus died. He cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. From from man's perspective on the earth, it appeared that the forces of evil had won. Had won a great victory. Did Satan think he had won? Remember the Jews were worried. They wanted a seal put on the grave. And we read in Matthew how the temple the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and there were there was an earthquake and the rocks were split i could wonder i could imagine these men were concerned god's great purpose was accomplished the provision for the salvation of man, the light of the gospel and deliverance from the power of Satan and sin. So, though man is helpless to change his situation, Jeremiah says, though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, Yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord God. Washing himself with soap wasn't going to take our sins away. Or washing ourselves with soap. Jeremiah also said, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. People don't change the color of their skin just by thinking about it or whatever. Or a leopard... A change doesn't change its spots. So evil people are powerless on their own to change their evil ways and to make themselves acceptable to God. Man was helpless. Man was under condemnation, is under condemnation, but God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Life. Turn with me to Colossians 1. (coughs) Colossians 1. A few verses here from beginning at verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him can be delivered from darkness to light and truth can be delivered from the power and defeat of sin to live a life of holiness, to have sins forgiven because God so loved the world. Turn yet to John chapter 21. This is a beautiful story, part of Peter's story the Peter who denied Jesus. You know, they were out there fishing. Jesus appeared on the shore. They didn't know who he was. He told them to throw your nets on the other side. They caught a lot of fish. They came to the shore and there was some breakfast already on the fire for them. And after their breakfast in verse 15, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, When you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. And then Peter turned and said, you know, what about... uh, what about John? And Jesus said to Peter, verse 22, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I can identify with Peter. I suppose most of us can identify with Peter. We've run from Jesus. We've disgraced, disagreed with Jesus. We've disobeyed him. We've denied him. We hear communing this morning. We have been grieved at our sins. And Jesus has called us. He has called us many times. And I believe he is calling us this morning. Just like he called Peter then. And just like Peter said, yes, Lord. We say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I love you, and I will follow you. And that is the reasonable worship for this gift of Jesus' love to the world, his only begotten son, not perishing, but having everlasting life through him. Thanks be to God for his indescribable Gift.